Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. I don't know about you, but my memory these days is pretty bad. I can barely remember to pick up the milk when I'm at the grocery store anymore. And yet there exist people in this world whose minds contain multitudes. Actress Mary Lou Henner famously had a condition called hyperthymesia, which allows her to remember almost every detail of her entire life. She can recall names, dates, and times of various events from her past, no matter how small. Only 62 people in the world have been diagnosed with hyperthymesia, and we are still learning what causes it and how it affects those who possess it. But Stephen Wiltshire doesn't have hyperthymesia, which you might think he does, considering his special talent. His mind is also a steel trap, but he isn't able to recall every moment of his life like the others. Instead, he has cities on the brain. Wiltshire was born in London in April of 1974. His parents had come from the Caribbean, raised their son in the little Venice district of West London, and Stephen was nonverbal early on, and three years into his life, he was officially diagnosed with autism. Sadly, that same year, his father was killed in a motorcycle accident. Around five years old, Stephen developed a number of interests. Like a lot of kids, he had a passion for vehicles, especially American cars and London buses, as well as animals. And to express his love for these topics, he began drawing them. But a few years later, he shifted his focus from cars and creatures to buildings. His skills were evident even from a young age. He understood perspective and proper technique in a way that most children his age just didn't. And he couldn't keep the pencil out of his hand either. But his teachers saw his obsession with drawing as a means to an end. In an effort to get him to speak, they confiscated his art supplies. Their thought was that if he wanted them badly enough, he would ask for them. After struggling with the sounds, Stephen eventually managed to say the word paper, and from there, his vocabulary quickly grew. He was speaking in full sentences by the age of nine. But his language skills weren't the only thing progressing. His drawings were also getting better, and one of his teachers took notice. They didn't just see raw talent. They saw true art and started entering his work in a number of local competitions and exhibitions. Stephen sold his first piece when he was only eight years old, as he took home more and more awards, the press started asking questions. How could this child create such stunning drawings? And the answer is simple. That's because Stephen is a savant. When he stopped drawing animals and automobiles, he pivoted to crafting elaborate and detailed architectural sketches of made-up cities. He would create them in his head, then transfer them to paper. He drew soaring skyscrapers and road systems, all of which were proportional and well thought out. He then turned his attention to actual skylines and cities. 
His first ever commission came from the former Prime Minister Edward Heath, who asked Stephen to draw Salisbury Cathedral for him. Now, you have to understand, what sets Stephen's sketches apart isn't necessarily his artistic talent, which, don't get me wrong, is significant. It's that he only needs to see a place once in order to recreate it from memory. For example, after a brief helicopter ride over London, he drew a detailed four-mile expanse of the area without the need for a single reference photo. Another chopper trip, this time a 20-minute flyover of New York City, yielded a 19-foot-long panorama, incorporating over 300 square miles of the city. All from memory. But he still manages to add some flair of his own to his scenes every now and then. One of his sketches is titled City of London 10 Years in the Future and features a number of yet-to-be-built skyscrapers overlooking the Thames. Another is called the Great Brand New and depicts a pair of hands holding a globe teeming with buildings that jut out from its surface like porcupine's quills. Stephen's work spans the globe, with drawings of places in America, Singapore, Canada, and Europe that would be hard enough for any artist to draw even with the use of reference photos. But knowing that they were all done from memory and in such great detail puts them on a whole other level. Stephen Wiltshire is someone with incredible talent, one that he has honed over the past 40-some-odd years. And it's clear that his only limits now are his imagination and having enough paper. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Long before Martha Stewart taught television viewers how to bake bread and fluff their pillows, another lifestyle guru imparted her wisdom on the masses. Her name was Hannah Woolley. You've probably never heard of her before, but if you had been around during the 1600s, you definitely would have known her name. She was the Martha Stewart of the 17th century, the Gwyneth Paltrow of the pre-industrial era. She was, to use the terminology of her day, a domestic goddess, although her road to fame was quite bumpy. Hannah was born in England in 1622. While little is known about her early life, she must have had access to a handful of educational opportunities. She was said to have so-called musical abilities and a working knowledge of Italian. The details of her parents' lives have been lost to history, but we do know that Hannah became an orphan in 1636 at the age of 14. Needing a way to support herself, Hannah applied for jobs as a governess, which was sort of like being a live-in tutor. Her aptitude for music and languages landed her a job in the home of an English noblewoman, teaching the family's children. Ten years later, when Hannah was 24, she quit her job to marry a teacher named Benjamin Woolley, and together they had four kids of their own. 
Throughout the 1640s and 1650s, Hannah devoted her time to caring for her home and her children. She was unique in that she kept meticulous records of her household chores. During a time when less than a quarter of British women were literate, Hannah could read and write, which gave her the ability to catalog the recipes that she made at home. By the early 1660s, Hannah had journals full of domestic advice. There were exact measurements for preparing a violet flower syrup, detailed instructions on how to make eel pie, and her opinions on the best way to decorate a mantle with wild moss and mushrooms. Of course, she planned to pass these writings down to her children when they grew up, but Hannah thought other people might benefit from her knowledge too. And so in 1661, she published a cookbook entitled The Ladies' Directory. While cookbooks weren't brand new, Hannah's was the first ever published by a woman, and it was a big hit, big enough that she decided to keep writing more. In 1664, she published another cookbook called The Cook's Guide. And then, very suddenly, her husband passed away. Now an orphan and a widow, Hannah had to figure out how to care for herself and her four children. In 1670, she wrote a book called The Queen-Like Closet, which, despite the name, did not chronicle the clothing of monarchs. Instead, it was an all-around how-to manual for housekeepers. It was also Hannah's biggest success yet, being reprinted four times and translated into German. Hannah became one of the first British women ever to make a living as a writer. She continued publishing cookbooks and housekeeping manuals all throughout the 17th century, eventually becoming a household name in England. And here's the most interesting part. Hannah was writing during a time when medicine was considered part of the domestic sphere. In addition to eel pie and mushroom decor, she also created recipes for medications and wrote instructions on how to perform minor surgery. And yes, most of these home remedies were what we would now call old wives' tales. This was, of course, the era when medicine centered around balancing the body's four humors, which were believed to be blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Gross, I know. But this idea of four humors dates all the way back to ancient Greece, and it was the way that people understood their bodies for over 2,000 years. And so, a lot of Hannah's medicinal recipes are focused on how to raise or lower the amount of certain humors. Lentils and cabbage were thought to increase levels of black bile. Bloodletting, literally making yourself bleed on purpose, was thought to decrease fever. Vinegar syrup could flush out excess phlegm. And it also was a cure for the plague. But if that's not a bold enough claim for you, Hannah also thought that she had a cure for breast cancer. Just mix a little goose dung with the juice of a celadine flower, apply it like an ointment, and you'll be better in no time. But while a lot of Hannah's medicinal experiments should never be recreated, there is value in her work, and in folk medicine in general. Modern studies often find nuggets of truth in weird ancient medicinal beliefs. In fact, a 2006 study found that the extract from the celandine flower actually does slow the growth of cancer cells. Which means that Hannah Woolley's curious 17th century cancer treatment might not be as crazy as it sounds. But still, I think all of us can agree we can probably skip out on that goose dung. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show and you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious.